Hey guys, Montel here. Welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited about having a guest on who's a repeat guest who's going to give us some updates about what's going on with cannabis at the national level. But before we get around, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, people want to see cannabis legalized nationally. And the people who want to see cannabis legalized nationally got a welcome surprise this last month when Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas called into question the constitutionality of the federal bans on marijuana. The opinion from one of the court's most conservative justices doesn't change federal law, but it came in a year when states seemed to be racing each other to license and regulate for some forms of legal cannabis. Since March 1st, five states have enacted or solidified legislation to legalize cannabis. And as of July 1st, recreational marijuana is now legal in 18 states of recreational adult use, and medical marijuana is legalized now in 36 states. And that's just part of the momentum suggesting that there could be a change to federal cannabis laws. Last year, Democrats in the House of Representatives passed a cannabis legalization bill, the first time federal lawmakers approved such a proposal, but it was blocked in then by the GOP-controlled Senate. This year, Democrats, Democrats control both chambers of the Congress. So let's see, maybe that'll make a difference. And that adds up to growing optimism about many cannabis from, from many cannabis enthusiasts and rights advocates, that federal uh, legalization might actually be on the horizon. But I got to tell you that I think we've been hoodwinked, especially a lot of the cannabis advocates that are out there that have always thought that it was only a matter of time before, you know, once we got a Democrat in office, we would legalize. And I've said since way back during the campaigns, don't rush to judgment. Why? Because we have a, a president who now elected, and at the time, was a fierce proponent against any forms of drugs, though he will sit down and have a sip of wine at any event he goes to. He's this major proponent against cannabis and against any form of drugs. Why? Because of his own personal family history. And then we have a vice president who, during her tenure as attorney general in California, set records with the number of nonviolent cannabis arrest that took place in that state, even though cannabis was legal in the state. So I have been appalled and have always said that, you know, that if you're waiting for a Democrat, especially this particular Democratic, you know, administration to legalize, hold, don't hold your breath because you're not going to come out on the side that you think you're going to come out on the side of. And could cannabis be made legal in the United States under President Biden? Hmm. The signs are mixed. Most Americans want it. But the federal politics of cannabis remain unclear. In a surprise move, again, conservative Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas recently called into question the constitutionality of federal bans on cannabis. And joining me today to drive us, to give us an update on the state of cannabis in the United States is MPP's director of state policy. She manages MPP's grassroots and direct lobbying efforts in state legislatures and is responsible for updating MPP's model legislation, which formed the basis for several laws. In 2011, she was appointed by Governor Maryland, Governor of Maryland, Martin O'Malley, to serve on the state's medical marijuana work group. She earned her JD from Loyola School of Law in New Orleans, where she received the Gillis Long Public Service Award and the Crow Scholar Award. She's admitted to the bar in the District of Columbia. 
Karen O'Keefe, welcome back to Let's Be Blunt. Thanks so much for being here today. So great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Can you give us a little update on what's happening in regard to legalization at the federal level? Federal level, unfortunately, as you alluded to, very little is happening. Uh, as you said, in late last year, for the first time ever, the House of Representatives passed the MORE Act. Uh, the Senate has not followed suit. Uh, at the federal level, we still have a rider in effect, which prevents federal law enforcement dollars from being used to target those complying with state medical marijuana laws. Uh, we also have the uh, essentially the Cole memo in effect, although it was rescinded in practice, it's still in effect, which has prevented people from being raided and targeted uh, and prosecuted for complying with adult use legalization laws. But everything is still federally illegal, even though it's mostly not prosecuted. And that, of course, means has devastating consequences for some people. It means that a person can still be deported, even if they're a legal U.S. citizen for using cannabis, for working in the cannabis industry. Uh, it makes things a lot safer because banks are less willing to hold cannabis dollars. It, of course, creates a kind of cloud of uncertainty over the whole industry. Uh, there's issues with federally subsidized housing and all kinds of other impacts that happen because of federal law, including federal drug testing uh, of federal employees. Biden's administration has uh, fired or not hired people that it had offered jobs to um, for having used cannabis in the past and admitting to it. Uh, so essentially, the Biden administration has not been an ally as of yet. Um, in fact, in his proposed budget for this year, he would continue having the federal government prevent the District of Columbia from legalizing possession, legalizing sales of cannabis, which was uh, disappointing. And I find that really absolutely ridiculously disturbing since the same budget authorizes continued research in the cannabis at the University of Mississippi and a continued distribution of cannabis to the sole number of few number of patients who receive cannabis from the University of Mississippi. Why, you know, I'll tell you something very funny, very interesting. Last week, I testified in a court before a judge. Uh, I won't give out the, the state and the details, but um, I was testifying on behalf of a company that was trying to um, uh, have their application for a license in a state renewed uh, and revisited because they were the top company trying to get a license. They were actually given a license and the license was taken back because of something really kind of stupid on their application. So I was in testifying and I sat down before this judge and this judge, I said to him, you know, well, the first question I was asked was, Mr. Williams, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, why you're an advocate for, uh, medical cannabis. And I said, well, I'm the same advocate that our government is because, you know, our government since 2002 has owned a patent on cannabis, which was patent number 6603-03507. And on certain cannabinoids, uh, not THC, but, you know, other minor cannabinoids. And the judge said, excuse me, what'd you say? I said, yes, our government has owned a patent. Here's a judge reviewing a case about cannabis in a state that has legalized cannabis and doesn't even know the facts. And this blows me away because, I mean, it's it's almost like, and I know there are a lot of people say, well, you know, that's not a big deal. That was a, you know, a program that was put in place, you know, back then, you know, that um, had existed just because they were trying to do some research and really trying to refute the, the efficacy of cannabis. However, our own government in the abstract to that application writes in there definitively how efficacious they believe cannabis is. Mm. 
And I just wonder, why don't we talk a lot more about that? Why don't we talk a lot more about the fact that for 40 years, the United States government has dispensed marijuana, not just grown it, tested it, but dispensed it. Excuse me. I mean, the majority, I will tell you that 99% of the same people who sign ballot or sign, you know, polls that say that they support medical cannabis across the country don't know that. We need to start getting that information out there. I'm sorry, I'm on a little bit of a tirade, but, you know, it's like when that, that judge looked at me and the two prosecutors, the two people on the other side who were, you know, supporting the state and trying to deny this license, they looked at me and I, I, I was I was waiting for that one lawyer to say, that's not true. And I was going to say, dude, look it up. I got it right here on my phone. You know I mean, but um, he never did it because they recognized how stupid it would have sounded that they come across not knowing themselves. But why don't we emphasize that a little bit more? That would show the hypocrisy of all attitudes since, you know, really the early 80s. Yeah. Um, Irv Rosenfeld is now the only, I believe, surviving patient that gets the federal cannabis shipped to him every month. And he's been a great witness. He's testified in a lot of the state legislatures that are considering medical cannabis. And he brings this canister of 300 federal joints and, you know, just the lunacy of here he is with this cannabis provided by the federal government that his doctor has tested probably saved his life and certainly dramatically reduced his pain. And at the same time, all of these other patients that are sitting in the same room with him would be criminals if they use the same substance that he's used for decades. I I just, I just hope that soon somebody will do, and I, you know, I wish Irv and I also have one of Irv's canisters and I wish that we get Irv on film and put that in every theater across the country or put that on Netflix so that people can just drop in and take a look at it to understand that there is just such serious hypocrisy and stupidity here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, in addition, we still have a line in every single budget that provides funding to the University of Mississippi to continue their program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. The whole root of cannabis prohibition is really hypocrisy. If you think of how many people have died of fatal overdoses from cannabis, which appears to be zero compared to 2,000 or more people dying of alcohol poisoning every year, more than 50,000 dying every year from the health effects of alcohol, and there's not even a CDC category for cannabis. In addition to the hypocrisy of cannabis itself, you know, if you're going to draw a line for what's legal and what's not, it makes no sense to have cannabis on the illegal line when alcohol is not only tolerated, there's even social pressure to consume it. As you said, you know, Biden drinks wine. Almost almost every president probably has drank wine, had people over, hosted people and served wine, while the same administrations fire people for admitting having used cannabis in the past. Which is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm hoping that at least, well, what do you think? I mean, let's take a look at that. We just went through one year where, and I'm going to tell you, this is my crystal ball. I guarantee you that the year leading up to 2022, both Biden and Harris will stop, will open up their mouths again, talking about how they really support legislative changes for the criminalization of cannabis and how we would love to see reform. And shut up. I feel like reaching across the aisle to smack both of them out of the head and saying, stop, you know, tell the truth, because what's going to end up happening is just like Clarence Thomas stepped forward, you get a conservative Republican who's championing the cause 
Be careful, America, because if Donald Trump says, first thing I'm going to do when they put me back in office is legalize marijuana, that fool is going to be the president of the United States in 2022. Yeah. Unfortunately, all Biden said is that he supports decriminalization. So essentially finding people and not doing anything about the illicit cannabis market so far. So far, he hasn't even said that he supports legalization, much less made it a priority. We did uh, have uh, the majority leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer and others, put in a bill today to finally legalize cannabis. But even if, you know, they had majority support, unfortunately, with the filibuster, you need a supermajority to get that through. Yeah, this is the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. Tell us a little bit more about it. Is, is anything else we need to know about that bill? Well, it just dropped. So unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to read the entire thing. But um as I understand it, it would deschedule cannabis under federal law and it would allow states to make their own decisions. And it would also expunge past cannabis convictions so that a person is no longer branded with a scarlet letter that makes it so hard to get a job. It ain't happening. That's not happening in this racist society that we live in right now, where we still need to have enslavement tools to keep blacks and people of color in prison. This is a time when we, we have leaders on the other side that are just when they are trying to deny the right of people to vote, do you think that they want to give people the right to consume something of their own, even though they were the ones who pushed the hemp bill? And then they still won't correct all of the issues that are going on when it comes to hemp and banking. Yeah, there were a few Republicans that voted for the Moore Act. I believe it was, you know, we could count it on one hand, as I recall, in the House. Um, I don't think that a single Republican has sponsored legislation in the Senate yet. Former Senator Cory Gardner was supportive. In most of the states where we've worked on legalization, we got a handful of Republican votes. So in Connecticut, I believe it was a single Republican in each chamber that included expungement as well. But by and large, unfortunately, um, Republican elected officials have been at great odds with voters because we've seen... 68% support among Americans for making marijuana legal, including roughly 50% of uh, Republicans. And we see way less support than that among Republican elected officials. Well, now, you know, it's a little odd when you look at the way it really isn't as rolled out at the state level. I mean, we have, what, 36 states and the District of Columbia have legal cannabis in medical, is in the medical form, and then 18 states have what they're calling adult use cannabis. Is that right? That's right. And we've also, uh, in addition to seeing this reluctance of some elected officials to listen to the will of the people, we've actually seen kind of a war on democracy in terms of the ballot initiative process. So most of these laws for legalization passed by voter initiative, which is only available in about half of the states. And that includes very conservative states like South Dakota and Montana, Uh, Nebraska approved one that was for medical cannabis. And we've seen funded lawsuits to try to kick these off the ballot. So in Mississippi, there was a broad medical marijuana initiative and it was challenged in court. There was basically an impossible to comply with signature requirement that they ruled it. They just voided the initiative. Uh, In South Dakota, the Supreme Court is deciding a decision, uh, appeal of a decision that voided that state's legalization initiative. In Nebraska, the Supreme Court kicked off a ballot in a very strangely uh, reasoned decision that was not in keeping with prior uh, measures. And in both Nebraska and South Dakota, we think that the governors, which both happen to be Republican, were behind these pushes to do away with the will of the voters. So not only would they not enact them themselves, they actually attacked the voter initiative process. 
Which I know, yeah, that's that's really absolutely crazy to me. I just don't understand how we sit back and allow this to happen as, you know, the the con, the constituents of this country who could literally, you know, it's our voice that's being voided here and nobody's paying attention in some way. I say nobody, but, you know, I mean, I know you guys are out there working your tails off and trying your best to, you know, keep this before, you know, the the voters, but still, um, as I almost, I feel like we take four steps forward and six steps backwards. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Well, on the one hand, when I started working at MPP, there was only eight medical states and zero legalization. And when you right. started working on the issue, it was about the same because you've been right. at it for a long time. So we've made way more steps forward than backwards, but it's just maddening to see these attacks on the democratic process and these elected officials that are so far behind the public. But increasingly, you know, compared to just a few years ago, there were almost no governors that said they supported legalization at all. And now increasingly more elected officials are realizing that it's a winning political issue, it's good policy, and we're starting to see more change. But it's still, it's not something that's going to happen on its own. It still takes a lot of fight. And which states, again, to go back, let's go back for a second. Which states recently legalized cannabis? Which so, are the, I the last uh, ballot initiative, the last vote. So in the last ballot initiative process, Arizona voters, Montana voters, South Dakota voters, and New Jersey voters legalized. The South Dakota one is hanging in the state Supreme Court. Then since the ballot initiative, we've had the legislatures of New York, um, Connecticut, Virginia, and New Mexico all legalize cannabis for adults, which is almost half of all the legalization states just happened in the past year. So it's really been a dramatic upsurge in activity. And, you know, that, that, that New York initiative is a standalone one. That's really kind of, um, I mean, it's impressive. I think, uh, and a lot of people don't know what New York has really done, but I mean, you can basically consume cannabis anywhere. You can smoke a cigarette. You even know, in the public streets. Yeah. Yes. Even in public streets. And they're going to allow for, cannabis consumption, restaurants, and establishments, right? Uh, I believe that's the plan, yeah. And a lot of these states, especially the state legislatures that passed in the last six months or so, included a lot of provisions to try to both repair the harm done by prohibition in terms of uh, removing criminal convictions, expunging convictions, making sure that people can't be violated on parole and probation just for testing positive for cannabis. Uh, Most of them also included a substantial amount of the tax revenue reinvesting in those communities that have been the most hard hit by the war on marijuana and including provisions to make sure to try to foster equity in the industry itself to ensure that those individuals in those communities that have been disproportionately and racistly targeted by the war on drugs have um, funding, technical expertise, and often a head start or some kind of set aside in licenses to make sure they have opportunity to 
benefit from legalization. Well, which states do you think have some of the most promising initiatives that are, are coming? Um, that have not yet passed? That have not yet, that have not yet passed, yes. Um, so Rhode Island could pass later this year. Uh, they're coming up for a special session and could legalize cannabis this year. Maryland is uh, pretty likely to pass next year, we think. Delaware's got a decent chance. Well, now, Maryland, Maryland will pass, pass an adult use program. They already have a medical program, right? Exactly. These are all adult use uh, states that we're looking at. For medical cannabis, uh, as was mentioned, Mississippi's initiative was thrown out, but there's a decent chance that the legislature will replace it with something else, although it might be weaker than what voters had approved. Um, Kansas is halfway there. Their, their legislature adjourned and one chamber passed the bill and the other will take it up next year. North Carolina is looking pretty promising and South Carolina, where you've been a big help, uh, has a good chance for next year for medical. Wow. And I mean, you know, now what, what, what states will you, do you think will be the last to come on board? For full legalization, maybe Utah. Um, mm -hmm. And for medical cannabis, not sure. Texas has been frustrating. It has this low THC program, but it's only 1% THC. Um, I'd have to look at the list again. There's an arbitrary number that somebody just came up with. Right? <laughs> it started with 0.5, and so I guess they doubled it, but it's still pretty pathetic. Yeah, absolutely insane. And I, I guess, you know, when you stop and you think about it, I know you said, I mean, who would have who would have thought that, you know, when we, we both started, you know, lobbying and and, you know, advocating 20 years ago, we would be where we are now. But who would have thought it would take 20 years to just get where we are now? Yeah. For medical, it's it's really outrageous. When we started, it was already more than 60 percent of the public thought medical marijuana should be legal. The federal government had the patent. They were selling, giving marijuana to four patients at that time, I think. So the fact that it's been so painfully slow for medical cannabis, I think, underscores that we cannot take it for granted that adult use or medical will just happen on their own. There are a lot of states that two or three years ago, you know, they had legislative leaders and a governor that were supportive of legalization. And I think there was a sense of, oh, that'll just take care of itself. And it didn't. It's really a hard fought battle, even for medical cannabis in every state that we've worked on. And it's doable. We've got the facts on our side, but there's a lot of misinformation from opponents. And there's a lot of kind of reticence that, and misinformation about what's going on in states that have legalized either for medical cannabis or for adult use legalization that you really have to work through with legislators. And I mean, when we see then this, this last year, I guess 2020 now is going to bear out to be, you know, a record breaking year for deaths from opioid overdoses, you know, something that nobody's even talking about anymore. It's all of a sudden like we, 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 we did this, you know, big push against Oxycontin and everybody heard about it on the news, thought that it was solved, but it's not a solved problem. We do know for a fact that in states where there is medical or adult use cannabis, opioid use has gone down. Yeah. And we've seen of people enrolled in medical cannabis programs, I believe in Minnesota, of those patients that were enrolled that had been using opiates before, 63% reduced or totally eliminated their use of opiates. So for so many people that I've worked with, you know, their, their choices are suffer unbearably, use opiates that are risking their lives and causing terrible side effects, or risk going to jail for medical cannabis. Uh, you were on a veterans press conference we did in South Carolina with a woman who was anonymous. She was terrified that people would take her children, her house, her job, if she was public on using medical cannabis, but it was what gave her her life back. 
Yeah, which is insane. And I just it's but but then again, you know, we're sitting in a nation right now that knows that you could bring the scourge of the pandemic to an end if we would just take vaccines. We barely see that ninety-eight percent of people who are dying from COVID right now are people who have not been vaccinated. Those who have been vaccinated are people who are at least surviving and and getting beyond COVID if they get it. But we have this attitude that we don't want to vaccinate. And it's like this attitude that people have that they, I don't care if you don't want to do cannabis, but why should your neighbor not be able to do cannabis if it provides them with some relief? And we know that they're not out robbing you. They're not going to break in your back door and steal everything you have. So it just is crazy to me that we're living in this, I don't care about my fellow man time in America. Yeah. One of the frustrating things, too, is that law enforcement, in some cases, the organized law enforcement, not so much rank and file, but have been vehemently opposed to both medical cannabis and adult use legalization. And sometimes they'll say, you know, they can search people if they smell or say they smell cannabis. And that gets back to, you know, it's been we've seen so much abuse with people being stopped in New York City. They had decriminalized cannabis and it became the arrest capital of the world because officers there would tell people to empty their pockets or they'd just search them when they weren't supposed to. Once it's in public view, it became illegal. So we've seen this really as a tool um, for oppression as well. And the way it's sold to the public a lot of times is misinformation, misstating what's going on in the states with legalization, with medical cannabis. We see a lot of blurring the lines between the two. Um, It's very frustrating. And and especially right now where, you know, this whole idea of a a cop's nose being better than a dog, when we know that most dogs can't differentiate between hemp and cannabis. You know, we've got all these hemp cigarettes out there that are now being smoked by people that have that 0.00, you know, 3% THC. But still, you know, we have cops pulling people over saying, well, I smelt cannabis, so I'm a searcher now. Maybe the cannabis was in the trunk of the car, and all they had on them was hemp, but they get busted for having cannabis, which is really kind of stupid. Yeah, and in a lot of cases, they have nothing at all. You know, you look at a couple of researchers have done studies and found that in most cases where people are stopped and searched in their vehicle, nothing was found. Um, And we've seen a dramatic reduction of traffic stops that happen in searches after traffic stops in states that have legalized cannabis and a reduced disparity. So you think of in addition to stopping people from going to jail, stopping people from getting the scarlet letter, it stops these um, very insulting, tense, humiliating, unnecessary police civilian interactions that in some cases are even deadly. You know, now you're being on the pulse of of lobbying and helping state legislations to legislations to, you know, form their bills and and put together their efforts. Have you also been getting information, recent information about, you know, because during this entire pandemic, research has continued around the world. And I've been kind of excited about a lot of the research that's been coming about coming out about cannabis, cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenes and those things and their medical efficaciousness. Have you seen a lot of literature written on that lately? I haven't seen a ton of new literature on that. So you might be able to enlighten me some more if you've seen a few studies I have not. Well, there's a few. There's a couple of them that came out oh, about three months ago that talk about you know uh, flavonoids having a greater anti-inflammatory response than almost all of the medications that we have for frontline use. And count the flavonoids in cannabis could help to reduce some of the inflammation in the lungs of those who are COVID 
patience. I thought found that like absolutely incredible, but that kind of just peaked its head above water and went back down in the water because like nobody wants to hear cannabis and COVID. Yeah, I heard something similar. It might be the same study um, from Dr. Nagarkati out of, I think it's University of South Carolina, who's a researcher on cannabinoids. And right kind of early on, he had done some research that suggested that cannabis could help with inflammation from, I think it was the ketos, the storm kind of that happens with the immune system. Mm-hmm. It's very encouraging. Very encouraging. And I think, you know, the, the more we get more research done, I think the better all of us will be. Um, you know, what can folks do if they want to get involved with the pro- progress in federal legislation? Well, they should definitely like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check out our website. We're at mppformarijuanapolicyproject.org. Sign up for email alerts, and then we can let you know when a bill drops. You can contact your legislators. We have pages on each of the states to say what's going on in your state, what bills are pending, so that you can contact your legislators and let them know. Federal legislation is important, but you really, people are more likely to have an influence at the state level because state legislative districts are very small, and we see a lot more progress a lot quicker. We don't have, you know, a federal filibuster blocking statewide reform. So check out our website, get engaged. Um, Really a handful of voices can change an individual state legislator's opinion and sharing your own personal story can be so powerful and change somebody from being opposed to being an advocate in many cases. Well, you know, I think what's insane to me is that at the federal level, we've seen, you know, legislation that's changed things with, with regard to LGBTQ plus community where, you know, we only had a handful of states that started passing laws and the federal government passed the law. We have 36 states. We are beyond that, right at that 75% mark right now. Mm-hmm. I don't get why this can't just be pushed over the hump. Filibuster is a big part of it. I mean, we do not have, even among the Democrats in the U.S. Senate, there are a handful that say they're not supportive. And I don't know that there are any vocally supportive Republican senators at this time. If there are, there's just a few. So that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, Obviously, Biden not making it a priority. There are certainly some things that he could do with his pen to um, lessen the impact prohibition. And of course, the bully pulpit could be a big help as well. Um, So, you know, contacting state U.S. senators as well is, uh, is definitely worthwhile. And on the national level, I mean, what, what's your got? What's your plans for the next year? You have, what, I mean, if you had a crystal ball, this, what would you think is going to happen in the next year? Do you think we'll get any any federal legislative changes in the next year? From what I understand, the most likely to pass would be safe banking, which is simply making it easier to have banks, which is important because loans are a big problem. Having banking is a big problem for driving up costs and uh, vulnerability to theft and so forth. But it's not where we should be given where the public is and given how uh, ludicrous federal prohibition is. I had hoped that a minimum we could get something like we have for medical cannabis, an appropriations rider, which the filibuster is not an issue for, that just provides that at least federal funding can't be used to interfere with state legalization laws, not just medical laws. Um, but that's to be determined. That, you know, I hope to be proven wrong, but at this moment, I'm feeling like that might be the most that's likely in the short term. And the Fed's not not turning away the federal tax dollars, though, are they? No, they're not. Um, And not only do they take federal tax dollars, marijuana businesses are not able to deduct normal business expenses. So their effective tax rate is through the roof, which is a real problem for some of these businesses, especially standalone retailers, because the way it works, they just can deduct even fewer of their taxes. So the federal government's getting an enormous amount of taxes. 
many of which are only by virtue of cannabis being illegal under federal law that they're getting this kind of excessive amount. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of our listeners need to understand. I mean, in, in any state where there is legal cannabis, whether it be adult use or medical, it's taxed beyond belief at the federal level, not just the state level, correct? Yeah, and I've because of federal law, because a lot of credit card companies almost all won't allow credit card transactions, a lot of the transactions are in cash. So I've talked to businesses, uh, their staff that have taken huge amounts of cash that have like drop safes inside of cars and things like that, that they pay the IRS physically in dollars, which take a very long time to sort through just that volume of cash. And is obviously a security hazard for everybody involved to have that volume of cash moving around. And we're absolutely ridiculous. It's almost like, you know, well, we're going to keep you illegal, but you pay me while we do so. You know what I mean? It is. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Just people get engaged. Marijuana is not going to legalize itself, but we've made a ton of progress in the past year and intend to keep making more progress, even if it's slower and more frustrating than we would like. Absolutely. And again, if they want to get a hold of MPP, where do they go? MPP for Marijuana Policy Project.org. .org. Well, I got to tell you, I, I, I applaud everything that you guys do, Karen. Um, and whenever, you know, I know uh, I kind of am on the periphery of, you know, um, activism right now because I am literally involved in the process of the business of cannabis. But anything I can do to help, you let me know. And I'm hoping that, you know, podcasts like this, you know, help to enlighten and, you know, educate the public. I really appreciate everything you've done over the last 20 years and last year helping with South Carolina and other states. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. That's Miss Karen O'Keefe. Make sure you reach out to MVP if you want to get involved to see what you can do in your own state. Okay. And join us on the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.